Welcome to an exclusive recording of the Shepherd's Path, the Seerah of the Prophet ﷺ, taught by Sheikh Muhammad al-Sharif rahimahullah in July of 2008. This episode is brought to you by online on-demand courses. Your chance to study in depth at your own pace. Each course consists of enriched on-demand video lessons, bonus sessions with expert guest speakers, live Q&A sessions with Al-Maghrib's instructors, and an exclusive student portal, all available with lifetime access so you can brush up on every subject again and again and again. With over 300 hours of studio quality courses produced and plenty more to come, inshallah, Al-Maghrib Online gives you knowledge that you can carry over a lifetime. Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salam ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa lah amma ba'd. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, I'm not going to go into detail about it, but the Prophet sallallahu was born, as they say, in the year of the elephant. The year of the elephant, Amul Fil. What had happened in the year, which is 571, 571, in the Christian era. So the Prophet in that year, the year of the elephant, um, there was a king in Yemen by the name of Abraha, and he wanted, or he built a big church in, in Yemen, and he called the people to perform Hajj to his house. Okay, like who's going to Yemen? Like even till today, nobody goes to Yemen. So he's like, everybody do pilgrimage to my house. So nobody's coming to his house, it's empty, it's quiet, and then, and then some Arab tradesman came to Yemen. They used to do business in Yemen, and he went and he urinated in the, in the church. And then Abraha got really angry, and he was angry at like the Arabs. And so this is before Islam. This is before Prophet ﷺ, prophethood. And so they said, why, why aren't these people performing pilgrimage to my house? And they said, well, there's some competition. What's the competition? There's another house in Mecca that the people are performing pilgrimage to. And so Abraha took an elephant, took his army, and they basically went up to Mecca to destroy the Kaaba. And so nobody could stop them. This is Abraha, he's the king, and he has a huge army. No Arab tribe could stop him until he came to Mecca. And in Mecca, you know, he took away the, the camels, the goats. Abdul Muttalib went out to him. And when Abraha saw him, he, you know, he honored him. And Abdul Muttalib said to him, he said, give us back the goats and the camels. And so Abraha said, he's, I thought you were, you know, uh, had higher standards than this. He's like, I'm coming to destroy the Kaaba, and you're just asking for the goats and the camels. Abdul Muttalib said to him that I'm the lord of these goats and camels. Like, I'm in charge of them. He said, as for the house, as for the Kaaba, it has its lord, and he will defend it. And so they made a deal, give him back the goats and the camel, and he's like, we will leave. It's just between you and the Kaaba. And Abraha agreed, and as they, you know, Abdul Muttalib told the people of Mecca to leave Mecca, to go on the outskirts into the, like, into the hills. And as Abraha came in, it's actually a place between uh, Muzdalifa and Mina. It's the area where Abraha was destroyed, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent small little birds with little rocks in their beaks and in their claws. The sky became black with these birds, and they dropped these stones on Abraha and his army, and they were destroyed. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed in the Quran, أَلَمْ تَرَ كَيْفَ فَعَلَ رَبُّكَ بِأَصْحَابِ الْفِيلِ Haven't you seen what Allah did to the people of the elephant? 
Now this year that Abraha and his army were destroyed, that was the year that the Prophet ﷺ was born and it was known as the year of the elephant. And they would, um, when they would calculate things, the years, they would say, you know, so many years before this incident or so many years after this incident, correct? So Hijrah, when later at the time of Umar anhu, when they started doing the Islamic calendar, they based it on the event of the Hijrah. So that's why you'll see in the Islamic calendar, it says, it'll say so many years before Hijrah, so many years after Hijrah. That was the focal point that they would calculate from there. The Arabs used to send their children, their born, to the Badia. The Badia are like, they're in the desert, the Bedouins. They would send them to the, to the desert um, to live amongst the Bedouins for those early years of their lives. There's different reasons for this. Of these reasons that they would do this, Abdul Muttalib wanted to do it for his grandson, Muhammad And so as a child, the Prophet went and lived amongst the Bedouins. It's called Abadiyat Banu Sa'ad. Badiyat Banu Sa'ad. They do this for different reasons. Of the reasons is for health reasons. So inside a city, sicknesses and people living in close proximity, they can get sick much more quicker and the children can die in those young ages. They'd send the children out to the Badiyah to live amongst the Bedouins because it, the, the lifestyle was much more cleaner, right? Clean air uh, and so on and they're living like an active lifestyle. Secondly, they'd send them out as little children like this, right? They would send them out to learn proper Arabic. Because inside the city, especially like a city like Mecca, there's so many foreigners coming into Mecca and the language can get mixed up. And so that their language would become pure and clean, they would send them out to the Badia so that their, their language would be very strong amongst other reasons. So the Prophet ﷺ was in Badiyat Banu Sa'ad. When this event happened, there's a difference of agreement on, on how old the Prophet ﷺ was when this happened, but it's basically between the age of two or the age of four. Between those ages, those are the different narrations. The Prophet ﷺ, you know, he's playing with his, um, you know, there are little children in the Badiyah, and there's other children who are being nursed in the, in the Badiyah amongst the Bedouins. And so these two people came, Anas radiallahu anhu narrates, they came and amongst themselves they were saying, is he the one? The other one said, yes, he's the one. And then they went and held the Prophet sallallahu down on the ground. They opened up his chest and when they did that, the other children ran away and they were scared and they ran back to Halima and said to her that Muhammad is dead, that they've killed Muhammad. What Jibreel salam did in the angel, they took out the heart of the Prophet salam and they cleansed the heart. They extracted a blood clot of it and said that this was the part of shaitan in you, in thee. They washed it with the zamzam and restored in its place the heart. This incident of the Prophet salam's heart being extracted, there's another time that this happened as well and that was in the Isra and Mi'raj. Isra and Mi'raj. That also took place in Mecca after prophethood, which was about, you'd say about um, 40 years after this. It's really beautiful about this incident. It's, it's like a reflection over the seerah. You learn from this that everybody has a portion of their life that a person is going to be committing sin. A person is going to be committing sin. They have a portion that shaitan's God of them. But the Prophet ﷺ, in his life, in your life, 
you're going to go through a series of, you know, trying to purify yourself more and more and more and you fall down. It's like, kind of like, inshallah ta'ala, you know, you'll have these ups and downs, ups and downs until hopefully when you die, you'll be on a high and, you know, with the forgiveness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you'll enter Jannah. So there's a hadith of the Prophet sallallahu in which he said, إِنَّ اللَّهَ طَيِّبٌ لَا يَقْبَلُ إِلَّا طَيِّبًا That Allah is tayyib. You can say that tayyib means like good and only accepts that which is good. So Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah, he mentions that the human being goes through stages in his life purifying themselves. So a person does good deeds to purify. And when they commit sins, they ask for forgiveness to purify that. And so when a person makes wudu that the sins uh, wash away and they do their salah, when they perform umrah to umrah, it washes the, the sins that are in between that. This, your life is a series of getting stronger and stronger and stronger. Until eventually the end is that the person with the forgiveness of Allah, with the mercy of Allah is entered into Jannah. What if the person is not getting purified and they're on like a downward slope? Meaning that the sins are accumulating and sealing the person. So this line, it's either going upwards or it's going downwards. So a person will commit a sin, doesn't repent to Allah, and performs a worse sin, doesn't repent to Allah, performs a worse sin, and so on and so forth, until finally that you know, Allah gives them chances, gives them chances, gives them chances, until they're abandoned and they're in hellfire. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us. So, إِنَّ اللَّهَ طَيِّبٌ لَا يَقْبَلُ إِلَّا طَيِّبًا A believer that dies, either their sins are forgiven, or if their sins are forgiven so they die and, you know, in their grave, you know, the reward starts from there. Or it might be that of the Muslims, that they still haven't been purified in this life. And so it's the punishment of the grave that will purify them. And that when the hereafter begins, that Allah forgives them, they enter Jannah. Or if the punishment of the grave doesn't purify them, there may be of the Muslims those who enter hellfire. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us. The hellfire is for what? So that they would be purified. So they would enter, Allah knows best how long they would enter into hellfire. And then eventually, if they had La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah in their heart, eventually they would leave hellfire. And when they would leave hellfire, that hellfire was a purification. They'd be washed and they'd enter Jannah. In the end, nobody enters Jannah in a state of impurity. Nobody enters Jannah in a state of impurity. So it's either the person seeks that, that purification, and, and that's why you get you know, those books, Purification of the Soul, and, and so on. The whole topic is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not accept that, accept that which is pure. Except that which is pure. The Prophet ﷺ, what I'm trying to say here is that his life was not a life of like working on like personal development for himself. Unlike other humans that are, that are going to be doing that. So we're not studying the seerah, the Prophet ﷺ committed this sin and committed that sin and then repented and committed this sin and then later on he learned and so on and so forth. We're not reading that in the seerah. Because of this event, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the example of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam as Allah azza wa says, وَإِنَّكَ لَعَلَىٰ خُلُقٍ عَظِيمٍ And in another verse, um, that in the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, you have uswatun hasana. You have the example beginning to the end to follow and emulate of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So his focus was on the da'wah to the people. It wasn't a focus of that he was um, combating himself. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is one of the benefits that you learn from this event and also in the Isra and Mi'raj it took place as well.
The Prophet ﷺ was a human being just like us. He was a human being. So he wasn't an angel or he wasn't you know, some other creation. The Prophet ﷺ was a human being. Now, the difference though with the Prophet ﷺ is human beings, they have good qualities. So this person has a good quality and this person, this person is kind, kind and this person is generous, this other person is, is such and such. The difference with the Prophet ﷺ is that all these good qualities accumulated in one person. They accumulated in one person ﷺ. So he was the best father, he was the best husband, he was the best Muslim leader, he was the best, you know, in, in, this, in the best of worship, he was the best visionary, he was the best, and you, and you name it, he was the most generous of the people, and so on and so forth. All the good qualities, every quality you can think of, you had in the Prophet ﷺ the best example. ﷺ. The Prophet ﷺ grew up in Mecca. He used to tend to sheep. He used to tend to sheep, meaning he was a shepherd. The Prophet ﷺ said once to the companions, The Prophet ﷺ said that there was never a prophet except that their job before was as a shepherd. And then the companion said, like even you, O Messenger of Allah, and the Prophet said, even I used to tend to sheep. And so the tending of sheep, and this is a really, you know, like a summer activity that you can have for the youth. Take them to some, you know, Bedouins and have them raise sheep. Because there's a lot of different lessons from raising sheep, and you can keep extract lessons, lessons. And if someone, subhanAllah, if they were a, a shepherd, they would know exactly there's so many lessons to be learned from these sheep. Of the lessons that you learn from this, from the tending to the sheep, is mercy and kindness. So if you're tending to sheep and you're shouting at them and you're getting angry, what are the sheep going to do? They're just going to run away from you. And interestingly, human beings are just like that too. If you just shout at them, you know, they might listen for a little, they're just going to go away from you. And so mercy and kindness, you also learn how to take a herd from point A to point B. A herd has sheep that don't want to walk with the herd. I, I haven't been a shepherd, but I once saw like, you know, shepherds and you have all the other sheep, they're paying attention, they're listening, but there's always one sheep that wants to run away. Have you guys seen this before? The sheep that just wants to go in another direction, the shepherd has to run out, just that one sheep. Like everybody else is listening, the sheep, but he can't let that sheep go. Right? He has to keep maintain all the sheep. It's how do you, and then you have other sheep that are lazy, they want to sleep, they don't want to walk too fast. And then, you know, and then the main herd, and then people, and other sheep that are running away, going in different directions. A shepherd has to take the whole flock, the whole flock, and interestingly, a shepherd cannot physically flock them. Right? You can't physically flock so many sheep. There are other techniques that you deal with in order to you know, have a herd like this, move them from point A to B. But every day, this is what a shepherd is being trained as. How to protect. You also learn from being a shepherd how to protect a flock from that which will harm it, such as wolves. There are other things that can harm the, um, the sheep. So you're constantly in vigilance of protecting and caring for the sheep. So let's say, for example, a shepherd has this sheep that's like running away and causing him trouble. He's not saying to himself, I wish the wolf would just eat that sheep. Just, you know, it's always giving me trouble. The shepherd cares for all of the sheep and knows the sheep don't know better and that they can be harmed by this. Correct? 
And so similarly, a da'i, all of these are a lesson. How do you take care of your community members? You don't say to certain community members, like you don't care about them, or they're just going in different directions and you know they can do whatever they want. I'm just going to concern myself with myself. You'll just lose the whole flock. You'll also see that the Prophet ﷺ, he didn't grow up even though you know, he was the grandson of Abdul Muttalib, they could take care of him, but he didn't just take like, daily allowance from his relatives. He worked for his own money, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He had his own financial path. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he lost his father when his mother was pregnant with him, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So now, I want you to just understand, like trying to get more real of how the situation is. Imagine like a woman and she's pregnant, during her pregnancy, her husband dies in a car accident. You know, like, and imagine that now she actually, she would go to the hospital and she would give birth, and the only thing that she's caring about at that moment is, and she's giving birth, but if only her husband was here to be with her and to enjoy their new baby. So the Prophet Wasallam's father passed away when she was pregnant with him. So the Prophet was born from day one without that father to take care of him. And amongst the Arabs, the father figure was the person who defended the boy, right? So the father figure, in fact, when um, a yatim, uh, a yatim in Arabic or in Islam, the orphan is the person who under the age of puberty loses their father. So they may actually have their mother, but they're still considered an orphan. Okay, so this is the concept, just so you understand, because sometimes uh, someone's like 40 years old and they're like, this guy's yatim. No, they're not yatim, <laughs> okay? If you're older, then after you've reached the age of uh, puberty, after that, you're not considered an orphan. You're not considered an orphan. orphan. The definition of orphan is under the age of puberty, a person who's lost their father. Under the age of puberty. So if someone might be like 14, 15 years old, they're still, sharia-wise, they're not considered orphans. SubhanAllah, if you've ever seen this, uh, I noticed this, like say in a masjid, right? There's kids that act like crazy in the masjid, correct? And everybody's angry at them. People are shouting at them. Nobody's giving them love. But there's one person that still loves this kid. That person is the mother. And sometimes the father. <laughs> That's the mother that no matter what, no matter how bad or whatever the child is doing, the mother still loves this child. What if that boy has no mother? Who loves the child? Almost nobody does. Nobody will forgive the child. Like the child is still young, but they don't receive that love, the kind of love that they get from their mother or they get from their father. And that's why it's critical to take you know, special, special care of the orphans because they don't have that type of love, which is like this unconditional love that someone will always love them. To them, you know, other people, you know, they'll be nice to them, give them candies, but they'll leave them at the end of the day. So the Prophet was born without his father there. And then after that, you know, he was in Badiat Banu Sa'ad, and then he came back at the age of six, the Prophet ﷺ lost his mother. So at the age of six, the Prophet ﷺ lost his mother. You know, you think, and, and I've also reflected on this, a child, what happens when their mother leaves them for a little bit? They cry, correct? Like you have a child, let's say the mother is working at night or something like that, child wakes up in the middle of the night, 
and the mother's not there, what does the child do? It will cry, the child, boy or girl, will cry all night long for their mother until eventually the mother comes back and then they'll fall immediately asleep. They're very tired, but they can't rest until their mother is there. Now the Prophet didn't have his mother to quell that sadness. She wasn't coming back, nor was his father. So now who is loving him? His grandfather, Abdul Muttalib. His grandfather, Abdul Muttalib, took special care of him. And so the Prophet the Abdul Muttalib, you know, all the other boys, and you know, they have their parents and so on. The Prophet doesn't have his father, doesn't have his mother, doesn't have brothers and sisters. It's just the Prophet And he would go in the, in the jalsa, in the sitting area, he would go and sit in the position of Abdul Muttalib, his grandfather. And everybody would like, you know, this is a little boy, and they're trying to tell him, you know, he's like six years old. He's like, don't sit there, that's, you know, this is like the chief of Mecca sits here. And Abdul Muttalib actually used to get happy, and he would say, let him sit there. And he said, my boy is going to, one day, he's going to uh, have dhu sha'n. <laughs> or you would say, zishan. <laughs> the sha'n. Anybody named zishan here? Okay, there you go. There you go. Do you guys know that? Du Shetan. Du Shetan, Zishan is like just a <laughs> mutilated way of taking the word the Shetan and putting in Zishan, but it means a person of high regard. A person of high regard. Did you know that, brother? Did you know that before? Yeah. Du Shetan. And so the Prophet ﷺ then, at age eight, Abdul Muttalib died. So now who is there to love him? Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So there's no father, there's no mother, and he's eight years old now. Everybody who's loved him has left him. The person who took care of him at that point was his uncle, Abu Talib. So his father's brother, Abu Talib. And from there, for many years, 20, 30 years, Abu Talib took care and defended the Prophet But you'd see that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put the Prophet through these tests early on in his life, and when someone, you know, let's say someone has, you know, their father or their mother and their father is really wealthy and their mother is really wealthy and everybody around them is really wealthy. What happens to the child? They're a spoiled brat, correct? You know, it's like they got everything, they don't know. And actually, subhanAllah, this is like proven the worst thing wealthy parents can do is give cash gifts to their children. You'll always see a mother who's really wealthy. Her daughter gets married to some brother that has no money and then they keep funneling money to her, correct? Do you guys know what I'm talking about? So they're like, here's $200,000, go buy yourself a house. Here's some, go buy yourself a car. You need an education, here's $60,000, go to school and stuff like that. And normally, they're not in a better position with all that money. It didn't really make them stronger. Because they didn't learn how to make the money themselves. They didn't learn how to, they don't know the techniques and what it takes in order to build up to that level. And so, the, the word uh, that's actually a bad thing to do is to give money like that. If for parents who are wealthy, inshallah ta'ala, you'll be wealthy parents, you have children. What do you do with your money with your children? One of the techniques you can do is you tell your child, for every like dollar or pound that you make, I'll double it. Right? Which is a matching program. So that they base it still on their work, so they're learning how to build the money and you know, you're just adding to it. So you're not just giving them a cash gift, but you're saying, for example, if you make $1,000 this summer, I will give you another 1000 on top of that. 
right? Whatever you make, I'll double it. So you're teaching them that. You'll also gifts of education. Gifts of education. You can help the children out with that as well. But just handouts, it's not... Of course, you're still taking care of your children, but constantly just feeding them like that, you need to teach them and give them the opportunity to stand on their own. Also, the Prophet said, I'm going through this. SubhanAllah, I remember um, the story. A woman, her child died. And the Prophet told her to be patient. She responded, she said, which basically you could translate it as get lost. She said, she said, get lost because you haven't been tested with what I was tested with. She didn't know it was the Prophet ﷺ and he didn't continue talking to her. He walked away. They told her that was the Messenger of Allah ﷺ and she went back and apologized. The Prophet ﷺ said, He said, patience by definition is at the first hit of the calamity. Okay? So what that means is that to be patient, you can't just like, lose your mind and then five days later say, okay, now I'm patient. That wasn't patience. You just, couldn't, you just naturally, you know, it just got lesser and lesser. Patience is when you're first hit with the calamity. That's true patience. But there's a lesson here. She said to the Prophet ﷺ, you weren't tested with what I was tested with. Here's the question. Was the Prophet ﷺ tested with that? And the answer is yes, multiple times. His children, this is a point you got to realize, they all died in his life except Fatima. He witnessed the death of all his children, all his boys and all his girls except Fatima. We're going to learn that later. I have an, another like, point on that. But just to tell you like, some of the battles, like you'll hear the battle of Badr, and everybody, you know, oh, the victory and so on and so forth. On the day of the victory of the Battle of Badr, Prophet ﷺ was coming back and they were burying his daughter. That was like Ruqayyah had died on the day that you know, they won the Battle of Badr after that. They had just flattened out her grave. It was like the same day. That was Ramadan as well. And so the Prophet ﷺ, the other thing that we learn is that you have an example in the Prophet ﷺ. If someone's an orphan, they lost their father, you have an example in the Prophet ﷺ. Someone lost their mother, someone lost their grandfather, someone is being raised like this. And then the Prophet ﷺ himself, when he would see people like that, he knows exactly what they're feeling because he lived it. He lived the same thing. So if he sees an orphan, he's like, I know what that orphan feels like. I'm going to give you an example of that. You might have, for, for example, people here that are not Muslim. Or people here that have converted to Islam. They've uh, reverted to Islam and they're here or there. For some of us, our parents might be Muslim. We don't understand what it's like to have parents that are not Muslim. We don't understand that. But someone who entered into Islam knows what it's like, and even for myself, I don't comprehend it. I don't comprehend it, I haven't experienced that. The Prophet ﷺ, as you'll see, he lived through a family relative that he loved very much that didn't become Muslim, all the way till his deathbed, and that was Abu Talib. And so someone will say, oh, you know what, my father, he died and he, hasn't become, he didn't become Muslim. It's a huge pain, but it's a pain that not everybody understands. But the Prophet ﷺ went through that. 
And we'll talk about it later, inshallah. So I want you to write this diagram in your notebooks. Okay, so you have here, this is like the seerah. The seerah altogether, the life of the Prophet is 63 years. 63 years. So altogether, it's 63 years. This is birth. So 63 years, and as we said, this was uh, the year of the elephant. It's the same year that he was born. Now, at age 40, I'll just put 40 here. This is age 40. The Prophet ﷺ received revelation. So this was, Iqra was revealed to him. In Mecca, he was there for 13 years. All of this is Mecca, right? All of this he was in Mecca up until age 53. So in Mecca, prophethood was 13 years. 13 years in Mecca. Again, it's like 53 years in Mecca, but 13 years as a prophet. And then Medina was 10 years. 10 years in Medina. He might, this is Hijra. This is Hijra. At age 53, he did Hijra to Medina. Right, I might ask you a couple of questions about that later on, so keep it in mind. I want you to like memorize that. So you always know that 13 years as a prophet in Mecca, the key message that he was teaching in Mecca was Tawheed, which is establishing the oneness of Allah, so that everybody would worship no one except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That was 13 years as a prophet in Mecca. When he did Hijra to Medina, he left Mecca because you know the people, they weren't becoming Muslim, and you know, there were hostilities, they attempted to kill the Prophet and so on. And Allah commanded the Prophet and gave permission to do Hijrah to Medina. So the Prophet, 13 years in Mecca, did Hijrah to Medina. Then 10 years in Medina, a lot of that time was like nation building. So now they had a state, they had a masjid, they had like sovereignty and so on and so forth. And, and so in these 10 years, it was like nation building. Altogether, altogether, since receiving revelation, the Prophet ﷺ, his message was 23 years. 23 years. 